The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to them in reply, Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank heaven that the Lord is willing to hang out with sinners or we're all in trouble. <laughs> the readings that we have today set before us an important element of the, the mystery of the season that is unfolding before us over these next six weeks, the season of Lent. And the church is very wise in that Right after Ash Wednesday, it gives us these other days by which incrementally we can refresh our understanding of the season so that as we move into the first Sunday of Lent, which is tomorrow, we don't do so awkwardly, but we do so in a way that is now ready to engage and meet the great mysteries that will be presented to us as the weeks move forward. And today we have the echo of part of our experience of last Wednesday in the readings. We all know what Ash Wednesday is. That's that day when our churches are filled, we present our perfectly clean foreheads, and we ask the priest to make them dirty. And I express it in that deliberately silly way to underscore how absolutely useless ashes are. And the only productive use I've ever known for ashes is back home in the mountains where I grew up, that's what the trucks spread on the road when they were icy. Um, but ashes are what is left over, what is spent, what has been burned away. It's what is cast aside. And the symbol of the ash is futility, a dead end, a lack of life. And that is what we receive on our foreheads. And it's a sign of what our willful, misguided, sinful pursuits in the end do to us and do to our living. And so we have in our collect a plea to heaven to look upon us in our weakness and to protect us, O Lord, by extending your arm 
over us. There's a note of fragility, a note of lack of capacity about this day. And we hear it as well in that powerful first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, who speaks in this curious way that as our hearts begin to change, as we turn away from ways that are useless and no good, life returns. The image of the ruined homestead being made new. The image of springs, water, gushing where there was only dry land and ash field. What a remarkable image that really is. And what a remarkable contrast presented before us. On the one hand, the Lord is saying, we live in a ruin. The Lord is saying, Sin undoes everything sooner or later. It unravels our relationships. And where once we had trust, we now have suspicion. It tears away from us our ability to be patient and persevering. And we become impulsive and destructive. Sin as it unfolds in our lives, saps the energy for goodness out of us. And we have that strange dynamic of the human heart where I am just too tired to try to be good, but I've got all kinds of time and energy for what isn't quite right. And the prophet then presents us with this image of this world of weakness, incapacity, and lack. Not merely an external world, but also our internal world. And he does so not to say it looks like you're stuck, but to say that there is a way forward. By the grace of God, which we call upon in this holy season, we are called to make that movement in the direction of goodness, of laying down those things which in the end empty the life right out of us, empty the joy right out of us, empty the goodness and the attentiveness right out of us, to turn away from those things and do something else, something that will allow life to return in its fullness to us, joyfulness to be with us again, patience to be with us again, to repair, in a sense, the homestead of the heart. What a remarkable image that is, the homestead of the heart. What's the homestead? It's where the family first begins to live. And over these last two years, it's a fair question to say, just where have we been living inside of our hearts? What has that been like? How worried, how anxious, how suspicious, how frightened, how resentful, how angry, how numb, how tired, how exhausted. 
And it's not like any of us sat down and said, boy, I'd really like to fill my heart with those things. It's not like any of us said, that's where I want to make my emotional and spiritual and personal home. We wake up one day and we find that that's where we're living, that that's who we are and how we are. And essentially, the prophet is saying to Israel, do you really want to stay there? Or could we do some work and improve this? Note how we have such a strong echo of those ashes we received the other day. Because the ashes we receive have a point beyond their narrow pointlessness. They are the reminder that we were not made to collapse into dust and ashes, but that we were made for life, life in union with the Lord. And then remarkably, remarkably, and we hear this on a Saturday, where our reference will be tomorrow, the prophet continues and says, one of the keys in moving forward is what we do with the Lord's day. And it's a remarkable statement. If you hold yourself back from running after your own things on the Lord's day, if your impulsiveness your busyness, your need to take care of so many things all the time will sit down, quiet itself, and take a break. We can begin. And in speaking this way, the prophet isn't naming wicked, reckless behaviors. He's not naming obviously destructive actions but he is naming a certain self-destructive recklessness that does live within us. The inability to quiet ourselves, the inability to pause and catch our breath, because there's always another worry to attend to, always another run to the grocery store ahead of me, Always another list of things I've got to take care of, and the list never gets any shorter. It just keeps mysteriously and infinitely expanding. So in a sense, what the prophet says, yes, and the list will keep expanding however hard you're working. So don't be a slave to the list and step aside. Because the day was created, the Lord's day, that we rest in the goodness of what the Lord does, has done, and will continue to do for us. And when we cut ourselves off from that, we forget who we are. We remember everything we need to attend to, and we make the mistake of thinking that's who I am and that's what my life is. And the Lord says, you lose yourself by running after all of your own pursuits all the time. Amazingly, we think we're following ourselves. 
we think we're fulfilling ourselves, and yet Scripture says that's exactly how you lose yourself. You don't just get lost. You lose who you are. You lose your sense of yourself. When you slow down, when you pause, when you rest in my day and attend to what I have done for you and what I continue to do for you and what I will do for you moving forward, it's not simply that you pay attention to me, the Lord says. You allow me to give you back to yourself. Lent is that great season in no small measure where we who have drifted so far off course do that work of allowing the Lord to give us back to ourselves. Because we can't do it on our own. The world can't do that for me. Government can't do that for me. My job can't do that for me. And my family can't do it for me either. And not that any of those things are bad. But the source of my life is elsewhere. And the one who has given it to me is the one who is capable of giving it back to me the right way, the good way. The one who has given me this heart in the first place is that one who is best able to help me rebuild it, to help me repair it, to help me restore it. And so it is we have this beautiful gospel reading of the call of Levi, also known as St. Matthew. And note how this works. Jesus goes to the tax collecting post. Levi didn't come looking for Jesus. Okay, we're all ahead of the game. We've at least come here. Levi wasn't seeking Jesus as far as we know, as far as he knew. He was at work. And his work had a very checkered reputation about it. It had a negative connotation about it, and that's how he supported himself. He's at the custom house, counting the money, counting out the coin of the world. Consider that for a moment. What is his occupation? He counts the coin of worldly pursuits. Not just his own, but everybody else's. And his life is a life of counting coins, of sorting them in stacks of varying sizes of collecting debts and imposing debts. If we're honest about ourselves, that's us on any given day. We don't have the formal title of tax collector, but we count the coin of our resentments. We count the coin of all those things we hold against somebody else. We count the coin of our inadequacy. We count the coin of our insecurity. We count the coin of our fear. We have lots of coins that we count. We count the coin, the stack 
of all the things I still have to do. And we get exhausted just looking at the list of things. This is where Jesus goes to find Levi. He walks into that dim little room filled with the sound of coins clinking against each other. And something happens in that moment. He looks at Levi at his table with his scales and his stacks of coins. And he says, follow me. In other words, let's leave here. In other words, come out of that dark place. In other words, it's okay. You can leave the coins behind. Where we're going, you don't need them. What a remarkable moment this is. Scripture gives us no hint that Levi knew who Jesus was, that Levi had any desire to follow Jesus prior to this. Only that something happened. A moment of grace hits him. A ray of light comes into that dark room and strikes him, and he realizes he can get up and leave. What a powerful moment this is. In fact, if you want to do a Google search, search for Caravaggio, his painting, The Call of St. Matthew. It's a marvelous painting. It shows this exact moment. Levi, Matthew, is in his custom house. He's got his scales and his coins and his table, and his co-workers are there. And it's a dark room, and Jesus is shown opening the door with one hand, yanking it open and holding it open. And light from that open door shines down right where Matthew is sitting, in that little dark corner, counting his coins. And Jesus, with the other arm, just dramatically points. But the cool thing about the picture is Matthew who is caught by the artist in the moment of recognizing that something is happening. And so the coins are falling out of his hand, and he's looking up, and his eyes are big, and his face is puzzled, and he's pointing to himself as if to say, me? You're calling me? You want me? And the other two guys who are working are still looking down, counting their coins. They miss it. This dramatic moment of grace that the other two are completely numb to, completely indifferent to. But it breaks in on this one, who never thought that this could be for him. You know, today, at this point of Lent, we're all Levi. We've all got that dark corner we sit in. And today the church reminds us, oh, the Lord's come and looking for us. 
and he'll meet us right there where we are. But he's not doing that to leave us there. He's doing that to bring us out of there and to bring us with him. What a beautiful moment that is. And what's the first place Jesus takes him? Back home. They go back to Levi's house where there's a dinner. And all the other sinners of the neighborhood come. But note, the first place Jesus leads him is home. Levi didn't bring Jesus to his house. Jesus led him back to his house. How different our own families would be if we would allow the Lord to lead us back into our relationships. If we would allow the Lord to, in a sense, lead us back home. If we would allow the Lord to introduce us to one another. We get it wrong. We think we have to invite Jesus in. But he says, why don't you just let me lead? And I'll get you back there. But I'll get you back there the right way. Because Matthew never walked through the front door of his house the way he did that day. He never sat at his table and entertained guests in his house the way he did that day. It was still his house. Oh, but it was different. And where before it might have been a place of frustration and darkness, now it's something different. The homestead has been made new. The difference? Follow me. Let's get up. Let's leave the coins. Let's leave the table. And let's go. And what a beautiful lesson. When the Lord calls us to lay aside our pursuits, it doesn't mean he cuts us off from who we are. It means he brings us, he leads us to the very best of ourselves, to that life we were meant to be living in the first place. Follow me, he says, and let me lead you into your life. And so here we are. It's not exactly Levi's house, but as Pope Francis loves to remind us, it is a hospital for sinners. And we're all here because we're all sinners. And around this table, we who are sinners will eat and drink with Jesus Christ himself, who is pleased to be here with us. Because the healthy do not need a doctor, but the sick, oh yes we do. And how wonderful it is though, that we'll come forward and we'll extend our hands as we hear those words, the body of Christ, and we'll receive him. And think about your heart this way as you receive Holy Communion today. As you receive him into your heart, give him a second to Throw that door open and let him point to you. And if you find yourself after you're receiving Holy Communion, scrunching down a little bit thinking, me, I'm not ready for this. Then you know how Levi felt. But he comes to us to lead us out of that and into his light 
and his goodness. What a marvelous, marvelous thing that is.